6, 2 Kings chapter 6. Obviously, last week, because of the anniversary, uh, we did not <clears throat> have uh, an evening service because of the picnic and all. Um, <clears throat> but the week before that, uh, the testimonies went so long, uh, we didn't really get a whole lot of time uh, in this particular sermon. So <clears throat> the first part of the sermon is probably going to be a little bit of review uh, for those of you that were here um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but Second Kings chapter 6 has a very important principle buried in it, and that is the principle of sowing and reaping. Uh, <clears throat> it is uh, a, a law that God has given us. Uh, there are six different principles within this law of sowing and reaping. Uh, they are, uh, we reap only what has been sown. Uh, in other words, you cannot sow one kind of seed and expect something else to grow. Uh, if you plant corn, you're going to get corn. If you plant tomato seeds, you're going to get tomatoes. I, I remember years ago, my <clears throat> the company that my dad worked for, uh, they had tomato plants growing outside the factory, and they couldn't figure out why. Where did all these tomatoes? And then they realized early in the spring, a bunch of kids had thrown tomatoes at the side of the building. <laughs> and <laughs> sure enough, so everybody in the factory got to got to you know uh, take home tomatoes because they were like just thousands of tomatoes you know growing outside their their factory. <clears throat> you you reap only what has been sown. The second one is you reap the same kind as you sow. That sounds similar, but uh, it's different. Anybody know how it's different? Right. <clears> that you 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 see you 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 reap the same kind. If you in your life, if you if you sow discord, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get discord in your life. You're going to have chaos in your life. Number three is you you reap a different in in a different season than you sow. Uh, oftentimes. God in his patience does not always bring judgment in the lives of a believer immediately. Sometimes those seeds need to mature. And But the promise is it's coming. You reap more than you sow. Uh, you, you put one grain of seed in the ground, you get a, you, you get a tomato plant, especially cherry tomatoes. I don't know if you've ever planted a cherry tomato bush, but you definitely can't. I mean, you get enough cherry tomatoes to feed an army with just one bush. So you reap more. So they, how do we then do? How do? How then do we apply that to our lives? Okay, okay. We see it in our witnessing. You know, you 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 know. Uh, a, a, a good example of that is, you know, when I got saved uh, back in 1980, 
the guy who led me to Christ had no idea that someday I would be a pastor. And that seed has been multiplied, has it not? But, okay, let's look at it in the negative. What happens when we sow seeds of discord or we sow uh, uh, hatred or, or, or something like that? How, how does it come back on us? The same way. I have a family member who is, for lack of better terms, uh, incredibly bitter and has sown seeds of bitterness her whole life. And it has affected now a third generation of her offspring, if you would. See, the seeds that we sow uh, multiply. And then number five is we reap in proportion to what we sow. And again, going back to the tomato plant, uh, you only need to plant one tomato plant. If you, if you, if, unless you're planning on selling them or giving them away uh, or, or canning, uh, one, one tomato plant's plenty. But what happens when you plant, uh, I don't know, 20 tomato plants? <laughs> you better open up a grocery store, okay? Uh, okay? But see, the same, the same thing goes for our lives. If we spend, it's like, like Jenny was saying, if we spend little or no time, and then, and then you guys, uh, the testimony you gave, uh, if, you give, if you spend little or no time sharing the gospel, well, what, what kind of results are you going to get? Little or nothing. But if you're out, at the movie theater, passing out um, uh, v- VBS flyers and seeing who can pass out them. I love that. We should, we should, you know, we should have paid them per. Uh, no, I'm teasing. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but but what, what's going to happen? The the chances are going to be a whole lot higher that. You know, let me. I'm going to pick on Tony. Tony uh, and 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 Sharon were eating lunch over here at the the uh, the illustrious culinary delightful place next door, and <clears throat> well, it's only good because you eat a lot. Uh, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> no, but Tony, Tony. If if I tell me if I'm wrong, but he he just started going table to table in the restaurant, giving people tracts, inviting them to church, and and I don't know. You said like three or four people said that they'd come. Well, out of the three or four, one did come, and has been coming ever since. But see, the the reality is, she would not have heard had Tony not done what he needed to do. You reap in proportion. The law of sowing and reaping is, is, has never been repealed and will not be repealed uh, at, at, <clears throat> until the Lord returns. Sowing and reaping is really about one thing. Now, now, I want you to get this because this is really super critical that you get this. Sowing and reaping is really dependent on one thing. 
And that is the choices that you make. The choices that you make. The choices that we make as individuals set in action a series of events. If we make bad choices, what are those events going to result in? Consequences. But if we make good and right choices, the same thing is is in effect. You know, I was thinking about it earlier today. One of the guidelines that I have used oftentimes in my life in, in, in relation to my making choices uh, uh, concerning my entertainment choices. One of the things that I do oftentimes is I base that on the fact that, you know what, if the Lord returned today, would I be pleased to see him in the midst of doing this activity? And there have been multiple times in my life that I have thought, you know what? I don't want the Lord to come back while I'm in the midst of doing this activity, so I then forfeit that activity. Now, oftentimes there may not be anything necessarily wrong with that activity, but it's there. But see, oftentimes we ask the question, well, what's wrong with doing this? When in reality, we should be asking what's right with doing this. The title of the message this evening is Reaping What You Sow. Reaping What You Sow. <clears throat> we, again, this is a little bit of review, so I'm going to kind of go through this quickly. But <clears throat> where we're going to pick up reading here in chapter 6 of 2 of, uh, Kings. Did I say 1 Kings or 2 Kings? Okay, 2 Kings. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Assyria was embarrassed the first part of the verse. They, they came, uh, they tried to captured the king of, uh, of Israel, uh, Ben-Hadad, uh, <clears throat> was, was embarrassed. Uh, Elisha, Elisha comes out and, and prays that God blinds the soldiers and uh, he marches them to, the, to, the, to uh, Syria, the capital of, of Israel, uh, not Syria, Samaria, excuse me. And, <clears throat> and the king wants to kill them all and Elisha says, no, let them go. Um, I have a picture for you. The picture number one, I showed you before. I showed you this a couple of weeks ago. But right here is the capital city of the northern... This this blue area right here, this light blue area, is the northern ten tribes of Israel. And And I explained two weeks ago that Samaria is the capital of the northern ten tribes. And there was a little bit of confusion because in the later in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there is a region called Samaria. Does that make sense? Do you all know what I'm talking about? So I thought tonight I'd, I'd kind of back up a little bit and explain what, what happened. So in, in this, in 2 Kings chapter 6, the northern ten tribes, the capital city is Samaria. Let's go to the next slide, please. Okay. In the New Testament, 
<clears throat> this region is called Samaria. Does anybody know why this region is called Samaria? Okay. Okay, let me give you a little history lesson here. <clears throat> Back when the Assyrians captured Israel, this was several hundred years in between these two maps, the Assyrians took groups of, of um, uh, Israel, uh, Israelites out of the country. And the very last time they took people out, they left the, the, the least educated. Okay? And basically they left them there to be slaves. These Israelites that, that ended up staying in Israel ended up intermarrying with the Assyrians. And a sub-nation was formed. And they became uh, Samaritans. Does that make sense? Okay, they inhabited this region uh, in the New Testament. Now, <clears throat> the Jews... In the New Testament, this area here and this area here is Israel. So if you were in Jerusalem or anywhere down here and you wanted to go up here, you literally followed this dotted trail because the Jews hated the Samaritans so much they would not go through Samaria. In fact, they considered them less than dogs. So they would go around, they would go way out of their way not to go to Samaria. Now, in, in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, we find an interesting statement by our Lord. <clears throat> When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more than, than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And he must go through Samaria. And he must needs go through Samaria. Do you get that? Then cometh he to, the, to a city of Samaria, which is called uh, Sychar, near a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, can we put that map back up? <clears throat> Thank you, Chris. So, Jesus leaves and he has to go through Samaria. Can you imagine what the Pharisees were doing? The Pharisees were coming unglued because he was going through Samaria. Again, it is important. What happened in that, on that journey? Okay, the woman got saved at the well. You remember that? Who, who else is a prominent 
Samaritan that we often talk about. The Good Samaritan. What happened? Three Jewish priests, I, I think in my memory, seriously, they were three Jews anyway, passed the man that was beaten laying in the gutter and they wouldn't touch him. They, crossed a, they went across the street and just kept on going. But who stopped? The Samaritan. The, 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 the group of people that the Jews despised, he was the one who stopped and helped the Jew. Incredible heritage that the Samaritans have. <clears throat> but anyway, so I wanted to kind of explain that because there was a little confusion a couple of weeks ago in the, the capital city and, 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 then, and then this region. So is it, is it clear now? It clear as mud, right? Okay. Huh? <laughs> By doing right. Second Kings chapter six, let's read verse twenty-four. <clears throat> and it came to pass after this that Ben Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. Again, this is talking about the capital city, not the region. <clears throat> And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an uh, ass's head was sold for four score pieces of silver uh, and the fourth part of a cap of dung's dung uh, for five pieces of silver. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, help us. Help us, dear God to walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We talked a little bit, I, I remember two weeks ago, about Satan's plan for, for your life and for mine. Satan's plan for your life and for, for mine has never changed. What is Satan's plan for our lives? To destroy us. He, Satan has no desire to make your life miserable. His desire is to destroy your life. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, roaring around, or, or, excuse me, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He is out to destroy your life. Ben-Hadad's purpose in life had never changed. Even though there was peace between Israel and Samaria for a period of time, the, 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 the goal never changed. His goal was always to destroy Israel. We see it in verse 25 when he comes up and, and besieges <clears throat> uh, Israel. And, and, and this, is, this is really super key. I was thinking about it the other day. Um, how often is the President of the United States and the Vice President of the United States together? Not, not, not very often. Why is that? Protection. Because if something happens to the President, uh, <clears throat> you don't want the same catastrophe to happen to the Vice President. So they very seldom travel together they're very seldom together. 
I remember, and, and as I was thinking about it, I remember when Reagan got shot. Uh, how many of you remember that day Reagan got shot? Okay, do you remember what happened immediately? As soon as they, as soon as they put Reagan under for surgery, what, what happened? The, they swore in the vice president as president. Immediately. What took place in this, in this seizure of, of Samaria? Ben-Hadad thought... He had, he had pulled it off because he not only had the king of Israel, but he also had Elijah the, the, the prophet. And Elijah the prophet was a thorn in his flesh. More so, Elijah was more of a thorn than the king. And I personally believe Ben-Hadad wanted Elijah more than he wanted the king. But this, by besieging Samaria, now he has both of them in, in his grasp. And he is choking out the city <clears throat> to the point where a, a, a donkey's head was worth two pounds of silver. Now, I don't know. I've never had a donkey's head. I, I have eaten pig head before um, when I was in New Guinea. And it's actually really good. It is. It, it's delicious. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, I've never had a donkey's head, but I don't think even on the best day, I would, I would pay two pounds of silver for it. Dung's, dove's dung went for two ounces of silver. You know, the, the reality is this. When money has no value, uh, <clears throat> what good is it? I mean, literally, they, these people thought that they were going to die. So who cares if I, okay, I die with, you know, two pounds of silver, big deal. I'd rather have a, a donkey's head to eat. But something really strange happens. Look at verse 26. And this is where it gets really disgusting. Verse 26. <clears throat> and as the king of Israel was passing upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, uh, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord uh, do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? Out of uh, the barns of uh, the barn floor or the wine press? And the king said unto her, What uh, uh, aileth thee? And she, and she answered, This woman said to me, Give, give, me, uh, give thy son, uh, that we may eat him uh, today, and we shall eat my son tomorrow. So they boiled my son, and we did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son, that we may eat him. And she had, hath hid her son. That is absolutely disgusting. But it had gotten to the point that they were eating their own babies. The king had no answer. 
this this wicked man, the, the Jehoram, Jeho, uh, the king, was absolutely horrified by what he had heard. Look at verses uh, uh, 28 and 29. <clears throat> and the king said unto her, uh, oh, oh, I already I already read 28 and 29. I'm I'm sorry. Um, look at verse 30. And it came to pass, the king heard the words of the women, that he rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall. And the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth with within upon his flesh. I, I want to bring up a point here that's that's really interesting. When the king asked. Okay, lady, what's wrong? She didn't say, I'm hungry. She didn't say that. What did she say? She wanted revenge. And she tells the king the story that, you know, hey, we ate my son and now it was her turn. Uh, You know, revenge is a powerful thing. And it's amazing to me, she was more concerned about getting revenge than she was getting something to eat. Have you ever known anybody like that? Have you ever been somebody like that? Number two, point number two. Did I ever give you the first point? Okay, I, I'm I'm sorry. I'm kind of in a hurry to, tonight. Because uh, we we had a long testimonies again, and I didn't want to uh, cut short the sermon. So, uh, point number one is the tragedy. Point number two, the cause. Point number two, the cause. Why was this tragedy happening? Anybody? I'm sorry. Okay. Well, it's because the city was under 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 siege, right? Okay, so this tragedy is happening because the city is under siege. Is that is that why this was happening? Is that is the cause the Syrian army? Talk to me. Talk to me. Is the cause of the problem the Syrian army? No. What is the what is the cause? It was sin. The, the, the problem was not the Syrian army. The problem was the hearts of the people. And we, we are not told definitively, but in verse 30 that we just read, we are, we are given a glimpse into the real problem. Let's go back and read it and see if you can figure it out. <clears throat> Let's read verse 30 again. And it came to pass when the king heard these words of the woman that he rent his clothes. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, what that means is that in, in, this, in that culture, when somebody was really upset, they would grab hold of their clothing and they would tear it. Okay, that's what it means to rent, to, to rent their clothes. Okay, <clears throat> let's continue reading. Uh, that he rent his clothes and he passed upon the wall and the people looked and what did they see? Okay, they, he, 
they saw that he was wearing sackcloth and ashes. Where? On his flesh. So, it was not revealed until after he rent his clothes that he was wearing sackcloth and ashes. Let, let this sink in for a second, because this is absolutely critical to understanding this story. What was he doing? Well, let, 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 me, let me back up. What is the significance of sackcloth and ashes? Okay, it, no, it, it wasn't. Sackcloth and ashes is a, is a sign of repentance. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 21, it says, Woe unto thee, uh, Kerazen, woe unto thee, uh, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre, in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in what? Sackcloth and ashes. So in the Bible, whenever you see sackcloth and ashes, it is symbolic of somebody who has repented. Okay? Now, what else is associated with sackcloth and ashes? When uh, those of you that have been coming on Sunday morning, uh, what happened with um, uh, Mordecai? Did he not put on sackcloth and ashes? Okay, and what did he do? He went to the king's court so everybody could see his repentance. See, sackcloth and ashes, because it's a, it's a sign of repentance, was something that was done publicly for everyone to see. But what did the king do? He had it, he had it hidden. He had, he had quote-unquote, repented, but inward. Now, let me ask you. <clears throat> True repentance is always coupled with what? A change. Repentance, true repentance, is always associated with a heart that has been changed. So, let me illustrate to you the type of repentance the king did. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that repentance? You've got to do the 180. And what the king did was he went through the motions, but it what? It meant nothing. Because if it had been true repentance, everybody there would have seen it because he would not have had his royal clothes on. Do you see the problem? How many times do we sit in church and God speak to our hearts and we say, Oh God, oh, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And God speaks to our hearts. 
and we truly mean to have repentance. But we no sooner get through those doors than we've forgotten all about it. We are no different than the king of Israel. See, true repentance means a changed life. And this man, nothing had changed. Question, can God use other nations to bring Israel to their knees? Absolutely. See, the problem, again, the problem was not the Assyrian army. The problem was the hearts of the people of Israel. Question, can and will God use people in your life to bring you to your knees? Absolutely. Why? Why does, does God want a famine to take place in your life? No. What does he want from you? He wants your hearts. He wants true repentance. He doesn't want make-believe repentance. He doesn't want us to say, oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That's not what he wants. He wants changed lives. Point number three, the response. Let's look at the response. Then said, then he said, go uh, do so and more also to me if the head of Elisha, it, excuse me, the son of Shaphat, uh, uh, shall stand upon on him this day. Now, verse 31 is a repeat of what his mother said. Who was his mother? Jezebel. Is that not what Jezebel said? Verse 32. But Elijah sat in his house, and the elders sat with him, and the king sent uh, a man uh, before him. Uh, <coughs> uh, but ere the messenger came to him and said uh, to the elders, See ye how this uh, son of a murderer hath sent uh, uh, to take away mine head. Look, when the messenger cometh, <coughs> shut the door and hold him fast at the door, uh, is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. In other words, what Elijah said is, look, hey, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing God's work here. This guy's going to come. The king has sent a, an assassin to come cut my head off. Keep him at the door because the king is actually just coming right behind him. Now, is Elijah scared? Absolutely not. Elijah's just like, just... I don't want to be bothered with it. <laughs> Verse 33, And while he uh, yet talked with them, uh, behold, the messenger came down unto him and said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I, uh, excuse me, what should I wait for the Lord any longer? The king sends a messenger to Elijah. And who does he blame? 
He blames God. But whose fault is it? It's his fault. Wicked men throughout history have made a habit of blaming other people for their problems. Saul blamed David. Joseph blamed, or Joseph's brothers blamed him. Uh, the people blamed Samuel, and, and on and on and on we could go. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17, it says, And it came to pass when uh, Ahab saw Elijah, uh, that uh, Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Jehoram, excuse me, Jehoram, his dad, Ahab, did the very same thing. He blamed Elijah for the problem. Part of repentance is owning your sin. Let me, let me say that again. Part of repentance is owning your sin. Let me say that again. Part of repentance is owning your sin. Hello? It's not anybody else's fault. It's my fault. Interestingly, Elijah sits in his home. And as the king and his entourage are, 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 are getting ready to, to come down on Elisha, Elisha very calmly tells, the, tells his servant, you know what, just keep them outside. I'll deal with them in a little while. What happens when we do not truly repent of our sin? Is anything accomplished? Well, <clears throat> I, I should have, I, I, I kind of worded that wrong. Not, not only is nothing accomplished, but the reality is, more hurt is done than good. Am I right? Our conscience gets a little harder. And this king is he 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 when he rents his clothes, he reveals the fact that he has been very insincere in his repentance. And and again, it is important that that as we read these stories in the Old Testament, we don't just go through them and say, oh, well, this is an interesting story. All this, these ladies were eating their babies. Oh, that's disgusting and blah, blah, blah. What is, the, what is the point of the story? I believe the point of the story is teaching, is to teach you and I the importance of true repentance. Now, we're going to see next week as we continue, because the story does continue, and it, and it has a really cool ending. So you, you want to come back next week. <clears throat> but it starts 
with true repentance. Because nobody, nobody likes to be wrong. Am I right? Nobody likes to be wrong. But the reality is we all need to learn how to repent. And as we learn how to repent, it will change our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, now, according to the story thus far, <clears throat> what do you think would have happened if Jehoram had truly repented? He had, he had come out publicly in sackcloth and ashes and he had, he had gone to God and, 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 and repented of his sin and said, God, forgive me for what I've done. And he, and he came out publicly in sackcloth and ashes. What do you think, how, how do you think our story would be ending right now? It, it would have been gone. Okay, again, the, the problem was not the Syrian army. God and you'll see you'll see next week God God takes care of the Syrian army. In fact, Elijah comes out to the king and he and he he tells them, "Look, um, it, the siege is going to be over tomorrow. Everything's going to be back to normal. We're good. Go home, get a good night's sleep." And the king and everybody else, what do you think they'd say to uh, uh, Elisha? You're nuts. But that's exactly what happens. See, God has a way of reminding us again that he's in control. But the story tonight, the, the, this, this particular story in chapter 6, is, I believe is all about the unrepentant heart. And way too often we make light of something that God says is serious. We need to learn how to repent. Let's pray.